right, everybody, welcome back to the Dodger Hogs podcast, episode number two. It is, uh, as we're recording, Sunday, October 4th, right around 4 in the afternoon. I am John, that is Diego. Thank you for listening to the first episode and for joining us for our second episode. Uh, this time around, we're going to talk about the recap of the Wild Card Series. We're going to look forward to uh, the matchup versus the Padres starting Tuesday. We're going to talk about our best and worst experiences at Dodger Stadium, which I'm sure everybody has thoughts on. Everybody who's ever been to Dodger Stadium probably has a couple of those stories. And then uh, we're going to touch on uh, maybe the best WWF wrestler to never win the title and anything else that might come up. Because you know we got to swing some wrestling in there with me and Diego talking. All right, Diego, how you doing this week? Good, man. Good. So, uh, you know, after our first podcast, I was kind of uh, apprehensive to see what uh, people would say. And uh, especially a lot of the guys at work, because as you know, uh, some of the guys we work with are, are some big shit talkers. And uh, like a shark tank. Yeah. And, and they didn't let me down. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Claremont uh, pole vault record holder, Nick Lopez, class of 2003. He was one of the, uh, the ones who wanted me to, uh, to shout him out on the show, even though he talked a lot of crap about it. So Nick, shout out to you. And uh, also to uh, my guy, Jesse Bravo, who, uh, who is, is going to come up later on in the show in uh, one of the best and worst experiences I had at Dodger Stadium. So uh, that'll be pretty, pretty fun. And I think a lot of you guys will share uh, the experience, the bad experience that I have. I think a lot of people will also share uh, war stories about that experience. So um, with that, John, a uh, little recap about the uh, wild card, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um... Well, everybody should be uh, up to date on this, but the Dodgers did win their wild card series against the Brewers, uh, best of three. They took the first two and made it nice and easy for themselves. Uh, watching that series, I think uh, there was some stuff to be good, uh, some stuff to be hopeful about, uh, some stuff to be uh, you know positive about, and some stuff to not be positive about. Um, I'm just going to start. I got to start by uh, calling back to myself in the first podcast when I said that Clayton Kershaw was going to be nails and uh, start to put a stake in the heart of those playoff demons. Unfounded rumors, uh, completely unfounded rumors about his playoff performances uh, because he just put in a gym. It was eight innings, three hits allowed, no runs. Uh, I think it ended up being 13 strikeouts. And the most impressive feat of the night is the, uh, the gift that will live forever of him basically telling Mark Pryor to get his ass back in the dugout and leave him alone. So, that right there, my man Clayton. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty pretty big in a game that, uh, you know, I didn't think that Woodruff would, was going to bring it the way he did. Um, one of the yeah, things- that was pretty impressive. One of the things that I wanted to touch on that we mentioned in the first episode was how uh, mistakes are magnified a lot more in the playoffs. And um, we mentioned Jed Jerko and how he was a lefty killer. Killer, Well, Jed Jerko forever immortalized himself in Dodger history by misplaying a ball that was uh, probably probably a tough ball to, to scoop up, but uh, he botched it. And uh, and that led, op- led to the floodgates opening with... Uh, Barnes cashing in on his Mookie Betts hitting lessons, and that's uh, right. And coming up with, big with that little—I uh, mean, it was a little bleeder up the middle. 
uh, a seeing eye single that happened to score a run. And then Mookie, of course, comes in after him to knock in the two other runs. But if it wasn't for Jed Jerko, uh, not coming up with that play on the throw, it was a great play by Arias, the third baseman. Uh, just didn't have enough enough on the throw to get it to him. And uh, Jerko botched it. But that right there, who knows? If he, if he makes that play, they end that inning going 0-0 still. So once again... Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that can completely change the way a series goes. And, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mistakes are amplified, especially in a short series against a good team like the Dodgers. And uh, the Brewers definitely felt that. One of the things that was, uh, I think, pretty disappointing, and I don't know if you can concur, is just offensively, uh, they struggled. I, I didn't think that uh, they played as well offensively as they could. In the first game, they had Cecil on the ropes. He wasn't throwing a strike. I could, I remember texting you and telling you this guy looks terrified up there, and you said, "No, he's just ugly. That's just how he looks." And yes, uh, uh, little throwback to the Jim Rome sound drop of he's got the Andy Pettit stare of a goat. The yeah, was the same the man had. That's exactly what you said. But you're absolutely right. Is uh, I mean, we can just chalk it up to. You know, you can't really make much of two games, which is a legitimate way to look at it. Is In any two games, you put guys out there. Some of them are going to hit well, and some of them are just going to have those two games where they don't hit well. Um, I think looking at the Dodgers, though, you kind of know which side of that argument certain players can jump on. Like, you look at Seager, I think he was like one for seven in the two games or something like that. But I'm not worried about Corey Seager. That just means he had a couple of games where he didn't hit the ball very hard. Or he hit, um, him, or he hit him hard, just right to someone. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, JT, I think. JT didn't have a hit in that series, but I'm not worried about JT. You know, Mookie hit just fine, and no one should ever worry about Mookie Betts. The problem then is, uh, you go on a little further in, I think Cody had one hit. Or two, but they weren't exactly hit on the nails. Yeah, he, um, he, he had that one hit in that inning, actually, in the second game. He was uh, kind of the catalyst of that inning where his tail end was was going one way and the bat was going the other way. So he kind of got lucky on that one. He just reached out and was able to bloop that ball in. That was um, all arms, that swing. Right. All arms. All arms. And we're, we've seen that a lot from him this season. Yeah. But, um, away from the ball and yeah. One of the things that disappointed me about him is going back to that game one against Cecil where, you know, they had the momentum of, of dealing with a pitcher who had a lot of emotion, wasn't able to find the strike zone. And uh, they could have blown that game wide open in the first inning. And I think Bell- Bellinger went after the second pitch and uh, and hit a pretty, pretty lazy fly ball. I don't know if it was to the left field or to the shortstop. But um, that was one of the things that was very, very, on my part, very frustrating to see is uh, when you have a pitcher who's struggling and, and dealing with emotions like that, you kind of let him try to dig himself out of his own hole. And uh, Corey kind of bailed, or uh, Cody, I should say, bailed him out on that at bat. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think to that point, we were in this, he'd, he'd thrown like 30 pitches already or something like that, something ridiculous like that. Right. And he'd thrown like 10 pitches in a row that were not anywhere near the plate. So you got to just let that guy keep going. Um, get into that bullpen early. Um, yeah, just it was a poor approach at the plate. Besides the poor mechanics, um, you know, butt going one way, arms going the other. It was just a poor mental appearance at the plate. 
An- another uh, another thing that I think kind of uh, triggered me is uh, the perform- performance of uh, Kenley Jansen in that first game. You and everybody else who watched that baseball game. Um, 86 miles an hour on his uh, cutter. That's that's slower than he was throwing his slider two months ago. And that's not... And it wasn't... Regardless of what Dave Roberts says, it wasn't moving the right way either. Right. And and, and I know I, I catch a lot of grief from a lot of people online, or both of, both, uh, both of us do on our Instagram posts. When we, we don't dislike Kenley. Um, and I know I get a lot of hate from people saying hey, he's been our closer for years, he's been loyal to the team, so on and so forth. But he's not passing the eye test. And what's worse to me is just his body language at the end of the game. You can tell based off of his body language that something's up with him. Um, Whether he's upset with his mechanics, he's not content with his performance. Um, when When I put that post of JT coming up to him after the game and kind of patting him on the chest, I didn't see it as, hey, you're a Kenley, you're Kenley Jansen, man. You're like, you're our closer. We believe in you. I, I kind of saw him patting him like, hey, get your shit together, man. Yeah, kind of unfuck yourself. Right. Pull your head out. Yeah. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's hard to, you don't know what was in JT's mind um, because, you know. Just reading into it. But reading body language, um, yeah, he, it looked a little bit more like, if JT was really kind of like, hey, pick it up, where we got you, you're the man, don't worry about it, he would have spent a little bit more time with him. Instead of just kind of going by him, slapping him on the chest, giving him a, a quick word, and then moving on, it, it definitely looked like, "Hey, figure it out," or, you know, let's stop, stop it. Some, it was something like that. Like and uh, and Kenley, uh, Kenley's um, body language and facial expression in that moment said a lot too. He was he was upset. Well, one of the he things was, that even Kenley has admitted himself is that JT. You know, has been one of the teammates that's that's kind of gotten on him, who's held him accountable. And uh, I would imagine a guy who has a tenure of a Kenley Jansen doesn't have too many teammates who can, you know, who, who could probably tell him, hey, get your shit together, and, and he listen. So, right. you know, if it would have been a belly or if it would have been a jock or something like that, a, another player of that tenure or stature kind of giving him that, that, that pat on the chest, telling him, hey, come on, let's go pick it up. I could understand. But when it's JT, I mean, JT's – unofficially the captain of the team and uh and and i think if anyone's going to tell you to get your shit together and start holding you accountable um it would be him and he did it last year there was a game in san diego where he came in and got smoked in a safe situation and and there's a picture that i've posted before where kenley's uh seated in the dugout you know by himself kind of in his own misery and the the other players are up on the step of the dugout cheering on their teammate and I remember that was a particular yeah. game where JT went up to him after the game and said, hey, you need to get your shit together, dude. You're, you're part of a team. It's not all about you. But Which, let's, I don't want to give people the impression that we think Kenley's a selfish person or that we think Kenley doesn't care about the team because that's not the case. Um, Kenley's just a person who it's very clear he wears his emotions on his sleeve. That's something I've been accused of plenty of times, uh, you know, at, at work and in other areas. Um... And when he does poorly, he, I think he rides himself harder than anybody else probably rides him. He yeah. gets on himself, and JT's probably trying to just get him back with the rest of the team and out of his own head. I think that's what's going on. So, so uh, something that I read today, actually about 20 minutes ago, is obviously you know Dave Vassay, he of uh, Dodger Talk fame. 
Yeah, um, let's um, let's skip over Dave Vasse for a while. <laughs> so anyway, Dave Vasse tweeted that uh, today during workouts, Dave Roberts uh, kind of got a got a good look at, at Kenley today and, and said that uh, there's no guarantee that he's going to be pitching the ninth inning from here on out. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's something. What's that? It must have hurt for Dave to say that because he's just always been very, very, uh, Kenley's my guy. He's our closer and he's a very loyal manager. Right. Um, which we've gotten on him before about and other people have gotten on him before about, about his loyalty to a fault to his players and their roles in the game. So if he's even voicing the opinion that, uh, somebody else might be throwing in the ninth inning, that means to me that that means something mechanically or, or medically know physically is wrong with Kenley right that means that Dave it's not a mental thing it's not a confidence thing if that means somebody is seeing something where no matter what Kenley's not going to be able to physically do what he used to be able to do correct but moving on moving on I think that we got to give credit where credit is due Uh, Dave Roberts did a, a pretty good job managing both those games the other day agreed agreed and I think one of the caveats that a lot of people don't realize is is with the DH rule, I think it kind of limits a lot of the chess moves that you can make during a game. Right. Or, or as, right. Whereas before, as an NL manager, you would do a double switch, you bring in a pinch hitter, bring in an arm, you know, um, a lot of that. Sometimes you might try to ride a pitcher a little bit too long uh, to get to his spot in the lineup and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I overall, I mean, I think he did he did pretty good, especially, you know, when he br- brought in uh, the guy that I like to call the bigger the panza, the bigger the chansa, Urias. <laughs> you know, I I think uh, I was kind of skeptical with that move, uh, only because, like you said, Urias in his first inning, whether it be uh, starting or a relief, is kind of sketchy. Yeah. But uh, in that first game, man, the guy was nails. Thank you, Jed Jerko. Uh, I think yeah. we can move on. Move on to uh, the next segment in our show. Old friend Jed Jerko. Um, I just have one last thought about the wild card series, and that's looking at the left-handed bats was did not go particularly well. Um, let's see. It looks like some quick, ugly math just in my head. Seager had two hits, Muncy was 0 for, Bellinger had a couple of uh, those little bleeders, you know, those... Those Bellinger, Bellinger type hits. Uh, Rios, nothing, nothing much happening. 
Um, I'm kind of worried about Muncie. Yeah. I know we're not, we don't countenance no Muncie uh, bad talk, but just from a, an objective standpoint, his bats did not look particularly good. And I, I, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I think we've talked about in the past, that he seems to be taking a lot of good pitches this year. Pitches that before, you know, right down his wheelhouse, he would just crush. And for this season, I don't know if he's just second-guessing himself because of the injury uh, or what, but it just seems like a lot of these pitches are good pitches to hit, and he's just, for some reason, not pulling the trigger. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's it. It's just he's not pulling the trigger on him. Uh, one of his great strengths, you know, the last few years has been his ability to read the strike zone. He's always had a very good uh, ability to separate what's going to be a close ball and a close strike and what's on the plate, off the plate, in the zone, out of the zone, and making good decisions about what to swing at. And he's still, he's still not swinging at balls so much. He's, so he's not swinging out of the zone. It's that he's absolutely he's not pulling the trigger on the pitch that's in the zone. And I don't know what that is. I think the easiest and probably the correct solution uh, is to say that it has to do with the injuries, the, the nagging injuries all year. But he's still a guy who can put a ride into one. I just don't know about batting him cleanup anymore. That's maybe not the best place for him. I know the Dodgers like to do the uh, lefty-righty, lefty-righty thing, but there may need to be another lefty in that number four hole moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. There's, he's just kind of like going back to what we were talking about with Kenley. He's not passing the eye test right now, and and the more that he's uh, struggling up there, his emotions are starting to show. So that, that to me tells me that it's it's definitely some sort of a mental issue, probably along with the nagging injuries, but um, hopefully he shakes them off here pretty soon to help us in this uh, pennant chase. Agreed. All right, so let's get off the Brewers and uh, let's look forward a little bit to the next series, the divisional series against the Padres. Any overall thoughts? Moving forward about the Dodgers Padres. Yeah, uh, you know I'm, I I dig it. I like the hype behind it. I like the 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 hype that is behind Slam Diego. Um, I like that. I like that they had the whole city of San Diego celebrate a wild card uh, victory two days ago. Um, you know, but sadly for San Diego, I think they're definitely going to be uh, disappointed because they're not going to be advancing past this series. What do you 100%, think? 100%. Uh, the Dodgers just, they're still by far the better team. Um, nothing against the Padres. They're an exciting team to watch, and I like watching them play. I liked watching them play the Cardinals because I hate the Cardinals. Um, but you, you hate the Cardinals? I hate the Cardinals, man. No, let, let, time out. Let me take it back. Let me run it back a little bit. I don't like Cardinals fan base with all their we do it the right way BS. They're really arrogant and... I just, yeah, I'm just kind of tired of that. I haven't, much. I haven't liked the Cardinals since I was three years old, and Jack Clark hit a fucking home run off of us, bro. <laughs> I remember it like yesterday. Hard as a child, and never got. I, never I got was, I was wearing my Fernando Valenzuela onesie when that happened, and I was <laughs> devastated. Actually, I think Jack Clark went to Gladstone High School, didn't he? In Azusa, local boy. Good question. My mom went to Gladstone, so maybe I should look into that. Hit up Mama Donchig. Are you my real dad? <laughs> um, no, back to the Padres. I think the Dodgers are just... They're the better team right now. Um, what was that? I, I got an autoplay on an article I was reading. Oh. Ignore 
Yeah, that was really random. <laughs> uh, thank you, ESPN, for the autoplay videos. Um, no, I think I just think the Dodgers have too much for them. Uh, looking at the Padres series against the Cardinals, their their staff threw a lot of innings. Everybody, it looks like everybody got a piece of it too. Um, there were a lot of guys throwing in each of those games. I think uh, they got lucky; they have a few days to get to get some rest. But their starters did not go very deep. Um, obviously, they're still without uh, Clevenger and Lamette. Yeah, but they're, they're they're up in the air. Those two. I don't know if you've heard the recent uh, the recent news about them, and I think it might be a little bit of uh, a play on on Jace Tingler's part. They're saying that there is a possibility they may come back. I call bullshit. Um, I don't think Clevenger's back. If they do come back, it's going to be in a limited role. They already said Lamette's going to be out indefinitely. That usually doesn't suggest to me that they're going to be back throwing seven innings in a in a wild in a. Uh, in a divisional series uh, game, regardless of how high the stakes are, I don't think they're going to, you know, expose these guys into some sort of long-term injury where they might do more harm than good. Because if they're right. compromised up there, they're going to get smoked. Regardless of yeah. regardless of, of what the name is on the back of the jersey, I know Clevenger's, you know, he's legit. He'll be ever uh, immortalized in my uh, head with all the shit talk he did about the Astros. So I actually wanted right. Clevenger to come to the Dodgers, but... Uh, you know, Lamette has pitched like the ace of their staff, but I, I don't think that if they put those two up there to to pitch the Dodger to pitch against the Dodgers in a World Series or in a uh, in a high pressure situation like that, I think they're going to get crushed, and in turn, they're going to do more harm to themselves than if they would have just sat out the series. Right. Um, yeah, the Padres are a smart organization. They're a good organization. They have some former Dodger employees in the front office. They know what they're doing. Um, yeah, they're absolutely not going to put Clevenger out there if he's not going to be effective and if they risk harming him long term. So I really I don't expect to see either one of them, especially not Lamette. I don't think Clevenger's going to go out there because um, what's like you said, what's the point in putting somebody out there that has long term benefit to your organization? Yeah, one of if you hurting him more exactly doesn't make any. And a perfect example of that was uh, Steven Strasburg a few years back, right after Tommy John, he came back and uh, they were playing in a pretty, pretty close pennant race game. I forgot who it was, but it was a few years back. And uh, the coach, I don't think it was uh, Davey Martinez, but uh, whoever the manager was at the time caught a lot of grief because they didn't put Strasburg into that game when, when a lot of people were demanding, hey, you should have Strasburg. And they did it because of his long-term health. And and in the end, I mean, last year they won a World Series. So it paid off. And I think that... Go ahead. No, I say hard. You got to make a hard decision up front. Um, Are you, you know, are you building long-term? Are you you taking a a big swing short-term? And they they made the right choice with Strasburg. Um, I think the Padres will do the same thing with their staff. Especially seeing that, you know, it would be one thing if you looked at the Padres or if anybody looked at the Padres and said, this is it, this is their one chance or this is their last chance to make a push in the playoffs. Then you might risk a little bit more, some guy's health, you might uh, take some more chances. But looking at the Padres, over the last few years, they've built a team that can be good and a threat to make the playoffs for years now to come. Uh, So... This isn't like it's their one shot and then it's over. They have guys leaving. They have guys retiring. Um, they have a good, 
strong core, both sides of the ball. Except Grisham, he's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you don't show up. I mean, like I told you the other day, yeah, Mike Trout hits a freaking Mike drugs. Mike Trout hits a bomb off Clayton Kershaw and acts like he's been there before. If anyone's gonna hit a home run, I mean, maybe it could have been a Trout, but Grisham. I mean, the guy is the same guy who botched the ball last year in the, in I believe it was a, uh, a divisional series against, no, in the pennant series against the Nationals. Uh, he was the guy who a ball was hit to him and he had an opportunity to make the play and, uh, and limit the damage. But I think because of his misplay, the Nationals ended up scoring the game-winning run and eventually ended up taking that series. So when you have a player like that who makes mistakes in crucial situations, and then comes right back and pimps a home run like he did off of Clayton Kershaw. You don't get any respect from me. I'm a new, I'm an old school guy, but I, I love some of the new school stuff. But uh, from guys who deserve it, like Tatis. I think Tatis, uh, all the stuff that he does is great for advancing the game because he's a superstar. And he backs up his talk with his play. Um, Grisham hit a 380-foot home run and acts like he hit a 500-foot bomb to win a World Series game. That doesn't, just cut, that doesn't cut it with me. I hope you do. Trent. So overall, right. I, I, overall, I think uh, it's it's a five. Uh, it's a what, best of five. So uh, I think I think the Dodgers are gonna probably uh, take them three to one. I think they'll get lucky one day, uh, being the Padres and 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 get one game uh, in the series. But overall, I think the Dodgers will obviously obviously show their dominance over their little brother from the South. And uh, and take the series in in four games. What do you think? Uh, it just it seems silly saying this. What do you think about the fact that the Dodgers and Padres have to go to Texas to play, and the Astros and who do the Astros get? I, I can't Oakland. 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 Shout out to, to Oakland. Dodgers. Yeah, shouts to Oakland because the A's are my team in the AL. I want to see the A's Dodgers rematch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would love to see Oakland just destroy Houston. Uh, Reddit came out today and 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 bashed the uh, LA fan base for saying that uh, that he did, he expected there to be more of a of a LA crowd when they played the Dodgers a few weeks back. And uh, obviously, he doesn't know that there's this thing called COVID um, that kind of limits your ability to to gather with people. That's weird. I know, right? Yeah. So. You know, screw you, Josh Reddick. I hope you guys get swept. But yeah, I think uh, I think this whole I don't I don't understand it. I, I really don't understand why uh, they're playing in a neutral field. I get the bubble thing; it worked for the NBA. Um, it'll probably obviously work for Major League Baseball. But I don't understand why they agreed upon uh, Arlington. It's going to change the dynamic of how both of these teams play. A lot of both of these teams rely on the uh, on the home run ball, and uh, and. This season, a lot of players have already been complaining about the uh, dimensions at that new ballpark being too far. So it's going to change the way both teams play. You're not going to see that many home runs. You're not going to see uh, that style of play. You'll probably see a lot more small ball, I would imagine. But what did you think? So, I don't know. Does that, so last, does that benefit uh, the Dodgers or the Padres more? Because, you know, the Dodgers hit the most home runs in the majors but that was spread out amongst the entire team because the entire team arrows the ball really well the entire team the hard hit rate the hard contact rate across the Dodgers lineup is pretty good um, whereas you look at the Padres and you might see that you know the power and the uh, hard hit rate is concentrated into a couple of 
you know, concentrated into a couple of bats, you know, Tatis and, and, and what have you. So, I don't know, I, I just, look, I'm leaning towards saying it, it's going to hurt the Padres a little bit more. Um, just because if you take away one tool from Tatis and he's your biggest bat in the entire lineup, maybe that's going to hurt you more than... You know, if Mookie doesn't quite get one over the fence or if uh, Corey doesn't quite get one over the fence, maybe A.J. Pollock does. Maybe Bellinger gets a hold of one. Maybe Muncy actually hits that ball that gets center-center, you know, center-center fastball. Um, I agree with you overall. I think Dodgers take the series. I don't even know if it's going to go four games. Just wow. watching the Padres pitching uh, in the first series against the Cardinals. Uh I know that they, the last game, I think it was four to nothing. But before that, even though they won a game, they gave up a. Let's see, they won a game where they gave up nine runs, and then they lost a game where they gave up seven runs. So in the space of two games, they gave up uh, 16 runs to the Cardinals. The Dodgers have a much better offense than that, so. Yeah, they, still, and they I think the Dodgers. I don't even know if it's going four games. I think that it might very well. Wow, be you're calling the sweep, huh? I'll go, yeah, I'll go there. I'll call the sweep. Well, hopefully, Kike brings his uh, push broom. He's gonna need it, according to John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. If you guys have any questions about uh, what we thought about the wild card series or what we think about the upcoming series against the Padres, please hit us up on Twitter at Dodger Hogs. Uh, contact us at Instagram. At the real Dodger Hogs, or is it just at real Dodger Hogs? I the, forget. The real, the one the and only. Yep. And um, we'll move on from that now. Uh, next, we wanted to talk about Dodger Stadium experiences. We just mentioned a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, the Dodgers are playing uh, out in Texas for the next series, while the Astros and A's are going to be at Dodger Stadium starting uh, Tuesday. So that got us thinking. What was everybody's? Uh, Best and worst Dodger Stadium experiences. So, Diego, tell us. You start off. Best Dodger Stadium experience. So, if you guys follow us on Instagram, you know I'm a huge bobblehead lover. Uh, I have nearly 200 bobbleheads uh, in my family room right now. I think when I initially had this addition built, because this, this family room that we had was an addition, when I originally conceived contacting an architect to design an addition, it wasn't necessarily for my uh, my two kids or my two the two additional bedrooms for my two kids. It was a place for my bobbleheads, believe it or not. So uh, the f- I'm sure your wife is listening. Like, yep. Yeah, she hates those things with a passion. <laughs> but you you wouldn't believe the day that we uh, I used to have all my bobbleheads in Rubbermaid tubs above the garage, and uh, they were in storage, and I had them up there for about five years. And my goal was to always. Uh, have a display for them in the family room that I didn't have at the time and now I did and uh, I think my love for bobbleheads grew from my wife Jennifer's grandparents I would go to his house and he had a big family room and he had a shelf up there and he had every single Dodger bobblehead known to man so that was my inspiration and once we had the addition built that's what I did but my favorite experience at Dodger Stadium was the Manny Ramirez bobblehead game I believe it was 2000. 9 2010 against the Cincinnati Reds and it was my best experience for a variety of reasons 
Uh, on that particular Reds team, we had a the Reds had a relief pitcher by the name of Carlos Fisher, who was a high school classmate of mine. His name was uh, they called him Boo, and uh, the guy was I mean he was big man on campus. He's uh, he's mixed. He's African American and Mexican, but uh, he was a class clown. I remember one day they. They took him to some cowboy, like a vaquero type place, and he put on some tight ass Wranglers on him and uh, a cowboy hat. And I mean, dude was game for it, man. Great personality. Great dude was obviously ecstatic to see him in the show. So we bought tickets, killed two birds with one stone, saw Carlos and then uh, grabbed my Manny Ramirez bobblehead. And that was the day Manny Ramirez actually didn't start that, that game. I think he came in in the seventh inning and he faced Nick Massett, bases loaded. And I'll never forget it. We got seats right next to the road bullpen. So I was uh, I was kind of bird-dogging both uh, Carlos and the game. And uh, and when Manny came up, there was a huge roar of the crowd. One of those things that people have always talked about, Dodger Stadium. It's just like a, a hum. It's, it's just surreal. The stadium is like sh- literally shaking. So Nick Massett is up there, uh, kind of a journeyman reliever. Goes up there. And throws a, a meatball right down the middle. And Manny just freaking crushes it. Into Manny Wood. Into Manny Wood. Stadium just erupts in unison. It goes freaking crazy. I've never felt or, or heard Dodger Stadium that loud. Um, easily one of the best experiences I've ever had. On top of that, obviously seeing your high school buddy in the bullpen with other major league stars. I mean, it was, it was a surreal experience. There's pictures of me uh, with Carlos floating around on my Facebook and on Instagram. So uh, I've reached out to him and he says he's, he's, he's game to be on our show uh, a couple episodes down the line. So I'm super stoked for that. Maybe, maybe he remembers that experience a little bit differently than I do, but uh, totally looking forward to it. So that was, that was my best experience at Dodger stadium. How about yours? Um, I'm going to be a little bit sentimental, a little bit sappy, and it's going to be about my first trip to Dodger stadium. Um, with my family when I was a little kid. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, you was know, it, growing up, was my, it a, was, was it think blue week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, dude, I, I was so young. I don't even re- really remember much about it except the feelings. Um, like I'm not going to remember like a lot of specific plays. Um, growing up, my grandfather, my mom's dad, now they were all from New York and they were Dodger fans in New York. And then the family moved out here like six months before the Dodgers moved out here. So the joke growing up was the Dodgers followed my family to Los Angeles. So my grandfather basically turned me into a Dodgers fan when I was just a little baby. You're going to make me cry. Five years old, I was, you know, sitting on his lap, reading the box scores and the newspaper and all that good stuff. So first time we actually went to Dodger Stadium was against it was the series against the Padres at the very end of the 86 season it was like the next to last it was like the last homestand or something because I think I think they ended the season against the Giants in San Francisco that year so I think the Padres were the last series at home and um, kind of last minute my mom and dad surprised me and my my little brother said we're going to the Dodger game and I was like what what are you talking about yes we're actually going to the Dodger game and I you know I freaked out because I was like seven years old um, and we had you know, they weren't great seats because we didn't, you know, we weren't made of money, but, you know, they were like, um, you know, upper deck on the right field side or something like that. But I remember seeing the screen and looking at the stats come up on the screen. And it was a year that like Steve Sachs and Tony Gwynn were fighting for the batting title. 
Um, so they put some, uh, they kept putting the, the batting averages up on the, every, after every at bat, you know, what the averages currently were. Um, remember, you know, Pedro Guerrero was a big deal. And I remember looking down in the field and seeing Big Pete down there. Um, yeah, bro, are you, are, are you, are you going to cry? I might, dude. My, uh, there was a foul ball came towards us. My dad, actually off my dad's hands. Mm-hmm. We almost had a foul ball my first trip to the stadium. Um, I was a little disappointed in my dad. Even when I was like seven years old, I was like, come on, Pops, you got to catch that. Maybe it had a little <laughs> bit of Mariano Duncan's uh, Jerry Curl juice on it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was also outstanding, Mariano Duncan's. Curl? That's how... That's some uh, get a little on the ball kind of thing right there. Yeah. That's some Major League Harris come over and uh, give me a little bit of that juice. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> oh, no, man. That was, that was my best experience at Dodger Stadium was the first time there and uh, just falling in love with the atmosphere and and being able to see in person for the first time as a little kid what I'd been watching on TV with my dad and grandpa for so long. So that, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a lot of a lot of us Dodger fans are multi generational Dodger fans. I mean, it's not Absolutely. like it's not like you're you just become one. You become a Dodger fan because your dad was a fan and your grandpa was a fan, and so on and so forth. So I think that's why uh, the Dodgers means a lot to us and other people because obviously it's it's part of our fabric as 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 a family. It's part of our DNA. So yeah, I mean, I have a pretty soppy story like that too, but uh, I didn't choose this uh, platform to share it. <laughs> Jokes on you. Had to talk from the had to talk from the heart, man. That's good, man. That's good. Do you want to move on to your worst experience? Okay, my worst experience. Um, my worst experience. I think maybe it was a, it was probably close to almost twenty years ago now. It was one of those seasons where the Dodgers were really not good. I can't remember which season it was. It was a season where you know I was working a lot, so I didn't. I think this was may, may have been the only game I went to, but I went with my brother, kind of last minute. And we sat somewhere down the left field side on field double. When, uh, was, down. when was this? Were you already a cop? Uh, no, no, no. It was before that. I was still teaching. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was. It had to have been. I was in my early twenties, maybe. Still, um, still fencing. Really yeah. Were you fencing? I was fencing. Good. I was I was a dangerous man at that point in my life. We got to see that uh, picture, by the way. I looked. <laughs> I, I went looking for it the other day. I couldn't find it, so we got to pull uh, it out of the archives. I can find it somewhere. I've got some old VHS tapes, I'm sure. <laughs> Along with your bull, pull it up with your bulldog choke video. That'll be good. I'll put, we can put them side by side. Yeah. Um. So anyway, it was like a last minute. Let's just go to the game. We're not doing anything else tonight. I think my brother uh, had just gotten off of work and. It was like, you know, I, I don't want to go to sleep yet. I don't want to go to bed tonight. Uh, let's just go to the Dodger game. Yeah, sure. So we went, and it actually started out pretty cool. Um, you know, because, like I said, it was the first time we'd gone that year. So we were all excited. We were all happy. And I'll, I'll try to keep the story short because it could probably go on forever. But sitting just in front of us and a little bit to the left was um, some dude and his girlfriend. Like, you know, white white dude and his blonde girlfriend. Um and then sitting directly to our left, a couple of seats over, was a group of, how shall we say, Raiders fans. Oh. Yeah. So Fresh out of yeah. jail and out on bail. Sorry, that's my Hacksaw <laughs> Hamilton uh, take. Hacksaw <laughs> Hamilton. I want to hear a story about Raider fans. Yeah, the, call the ladies line. 
<laughs> oh, that'll be another. We'll leave. We'll, we'll leave. We'll leave hacksaw for another day. Because we, we could do tons of shows, shows off a of hacksaw and the loose cannons and all those dudes. Yeah, we can do our mighty six ninety retrospective next time. Um, so anyway, you know, like we're halfway through the game, and I look over and I see the the girl who was in front of us, the the blonde girl. She's turned around and she's throwing sign language at the little girl who's sitting with this group of Raider fans. And I realized, oh, well, one of these little girls over here with the Raiders fans, she's deaf, and this blonde woman, <laughs> she's also deaf, and they're they're just talking and they're vibing. And you could see this little girl loved it. This little girl loved the fact that she went to Dodger Stadium with her family or her friends or whoever she was with and that somebody else there could talk to her. Because it was obvious, like, this little girl's not hearing the roar of the crowd. She doesn't know, she's not hearing the, the um, you know, the announcers. But this woman who, this stranger is turning around and signing to her and telling her what's going on. And I thought to myself, man, that's really cool. But as the game went on, the Raider fans started getting a little bit too much alcohol in them. And they started getting 415 with the dude that she was with. 415 is uh, 415 is police code for uh, like angry. He got upset. Sorry about that. I didn't, you know, yeah, man. I slipped into a little uh, code speak. But yeah, they started going at this guy whose girlfriend was turning around and signing, you know, sign language with this little girl. Where were you and guys at? In the pavilion, or what were you guys at? Well, we were field double down the left left field side somewhere. We were, but we were on the field double somewhere. Hmm. And they just started yelling and, and yelling at this guy. And this guy was like, what are you guys even talking about? I'm not, what are you yelling at me for? I didn't do nothing. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And um, it was like just a stereotypical, like, left field pavilion Dodger fan kind of thing. Um, and they ended up getting escorted out by security. And I was just like, man, that is so disappointing. I can't even believe that. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it the game for everyone in this section ruined the game for that poor little girl who was having a great time um, having her sign language conversation with this with this woman in front of him. Yeah. And just making us all look like fools as Dodger fans. Yeah. And I was angry. I was disappointed. Yeah. I mean, the, the unfortunate thing about Dodger Stadium is is you got to, you know, depending on where your seats are is going to is going to kind of dictate to you what type of crowd you're going to go with. If you're going to go with your buddies, you're good in the pavilion. You know, because you might be exposed to a little bit of uh, angry, drunk Dodger fans. But if you go with your family, you got to pay up. Like, I think one of the best places for, for us to go watch games has always been the Loge section. It's always yeah, been a pretty decent uh, mix. But, yeah, man, that that sucked. But uh, Tell us about your... Oh, one word, bro. One word, the trough. <laughs> okay, and this is where... Our mutual friend T. Bravo comes back into the story, correct? The trough. You, if it, now, if I you say the trough, know. what do you think I'm referring to? Yeah, if you know, you know, Dodger fans. The trough was the uh, let's shall we say the receptacle in the men's restroom. We'll call it that. There, there was were no, urinals. no urinals, no partition, no stall. Right. So the trough is usually Speaking in between. Yeah. In between innings, obviously everyone would, you know, wait to see what would happen in the beginning of the first inning or the bottom of the inning. And there'd always be a Jesse Owens sprint 
to the to the restroom. Well, before the renovation, there was this thing called the trough, where you would stand shoulder to shoulder. Whether you were an older man or a little kid, you would stand shoulder to shoulder with all these grown men or kids taking a leak. And uh, in that moment, everyone had a stiff neck. You just look <laughs> straight ahead, right? You just would look straight ahead. You didn't want to be that guy that looked uh, to your left, to your right, or no or nope. check your. You don't check your shoelaces at that time either. Nope. So we went. Uh, you know, a couple buddies of, of mine. We went to the game, and and in the trough, it was always a uh, limited limited uh, availability. So if you really had to go, you would literally have to bowl your way through a hole like Jerome Bettis and, and kind of uh, and try to find a space. And there you would be shoulder to shoulder with a complete stranger. And there'd probably be about 20 to 25 heads all in line, taking a leak in unison in this trough. Well, I brought my friend, uh, Jesse, one day. We got some free tickets. And, uh, and again, there was very limited availability in the trough. So I was on one end of the trough and he was on the other end of the trough. And uh, he may have been a little tipsy that day. And as I'm looking straight ahead, right at this wall, I can kind of tell from my peripheral, my buddy Jesse was kind of leaning back and his head was, was canted towards me. And, uh, and I'll never forget this, bro. I mean, the guy just yells out, hey, there's no meat gazing in the locker room or in the restroom, Diego. <laughs> and uh, dude, seriously, man, I thought I was gonna get my ass whooped, bro. <laughs> So there I go. I might have just even said, fuck it. I'm going to stop pissing right here and hold the rest for later. I cut it off, put my zip up my pants, walked out and just freaking like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? I'm going to get my ass kicked out here. And this dude was like, if you know Jesse, man, that guy has a pretty unique laugh, bro. And, it, and that's all I remember was just him laughing his little ass off. Ah, I got you, fool. But uh, yeah, man, that was... That was probably... Actually, I think that's the last time I invited him to a game, too. I'm not going to lie. Because of that experience. Well, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a safety thing right there. Just, I guess you can't go to Dodger Stadium with Jesse Bravo. Yeah. Safety. No, yeah. If you know, if you meet this guy named Jesse Bravo, just rest assured, that type of uh, debauchery might, might ensue shortly after, wherever you guys may go. Uh, so, a big shout-out. Shout-out, Jesse. So let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and take a little bit of a break here, John, and then we'll move on to uh, our next topic and hopefully wrap up the show shortly after that. Yeah, let's do it. All right, guys. Um, thank you very much for everybody who listened to the first podcast. And we did have some people actually send us some questions. Um asked us to uh, respond to them. Uh, so I think the first question we'll go into is... All right, so the first question is going to be, uh, which host do you think is better looking and why is it John? That's hmm. a good question. Um, and that was sent by Jay Donchig. That, that's you. That's weird. Yeah, huh. Weird. I mean, kind of answers <laughs> I don't know, but obviously, uh, you know, people have seen me on Instagram and, and, and they know how I look, so, so they can't, uh, they can't, they can't gauge me compared to you because it's your default picture is you holding like a fish or something. So it's kind of tough to tell. 
maybe the fish is holding me, you know. So we, right, we, we did get a, a legit question from Sarah Stoles, Stolze, I believe it is. Who is your favorite, John, this is for you. Who is your favorite current and favorite retired Dodger player and why? My favorite current player is no question Clayton Kershaw. Um, I have so much respect for that man in not just what he is capable of doing and has done on the baseball field, just what kind of man he is. Um, he walks a very fine line between being being confident and knowing what he can and can't do without coming across as arrogant or a, as like I think there's a fine line between a guy like Clayton Kershaw and a guy like Madison Baumgartner. Madison Baumgartner went over that line to being just a red ass and over emphasizing or overthinking his worth. And Clayton has never gone over that that line. He he's got a little bit of a red ass. He definitely has a competitive streak, but it's it's in proportion to to what he can do, and it's never a distraction from the team. It's never a it's never a talking point in itself. It's something that we can make a joke about, like you know him telling Mark Pryor to stay his butt in the dugout. Yeah, that was but it came, that was awesome. Funny. It was yeah, but it was funny, like the way it came across. Um, because that's who Clayton is. And then, I mean, there's just no question about his character either off the field. I mean, you look at his charitable uh, his charitable organizations and everything that he does with his, like, the ping pong tournament, and he's just a fantastic leader. And all of this on top of being the best pitcher I've ever seen in person in my life, with the possible exception of, like, Greg Maddox back in the, uh, the heydays on the Braves. Or Kevin Gross. Oh yes, Kevin, I forgot about Kevin Gross. Yeah, Kevin Gross. He was good. Um, but yeah, favorite player is no doubt Clayton Kershaw. That's why it pains me so much personally when I see him struggle. Um, one of my great regrets in baseball is that I've only gotten to see one Clayton Kershaw no hitter because he's so good that I expect him to have five or six. Um, favorite retired player. That's kind of rough. Um, I mean, what do you mean by retired? If you just mean like former, we could, former we could, Dodger, we could just anybody. probably summarize any former Dodger that's not currently any, with the team. Any former Dodger, Mike Piazza, and I'm still really hurt about the trade. I'll be quite honest. 25 years later, um, I'm upset about the trade. I, I still can't believe they did that. Um, yeah, I'll, he was I'll, just I'll, I'll, the, strongest man in, the strongest man in Southern California because he could just push a baseball over that right center field fence with a flick of his wrists. Um, that was my guy. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll go into it with my uh, favorite retired player. It's also Mike Piazza. I saw Mike Piazza hit two freaking bombs off of Kurt Schilling when they were playing the Phillies in 1996. Um, Mike Piazza, to me, has always been my childhood hero. I remember the day he was traded, and I was pretty devastated as well. Um, I thought he would retire a Dodger. I thought he would be a lifelong Dodger. Um, to see him in anything but Dodger blue, to me, it just looks weird. I think it'd be the same as, I think it's the same as, as how the Red Sox fans probably see Mookie Betts. Um, I think they can make that same comparison where they probably envision Mookie playing with the Red Sox his whole career. And to see him in a Dodger jersey is, uh, is surreal. It, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look right to them. But um, yeah, definitely for me, even seeing the number 31 on Jock Peterson is weird. It's just weird to me. 
Um, I, I just ex- expect to see it sometime in the future, you know, with all the other retired numbers, but I know it's not going to happen because of the bitter way that, that he left the organization. And, uh, you know, if you ever saw that interview he had with Vince Scully, where it was misconstrued and, and in his book, he basically says that Vince Scully turned the LA fan base, um, against him. I, I don't think that's entirely true. I think he just perceived it poorly and wrong. Um, we got to remember at the time he was going through a, a contract extension and, uh, he was looking to get paid. And, and the Dodgers and the Dodgers had just been purchased by Fox. So, I mean, the fact that, you know, they didn't pay him was to me a travesty. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, I, I, I will always uh, have a lot of Mike Piazza Dodger love. I even question why he doesn't have a bobblehead yet. Um, he doesn't? No, not a Dodger bobblehead. I have two New York Met Mike Piazza bobbleheads in my shelf. Wow. But uh, I think there's still a lot of bitterness there between both sides. And uh, my current, uh, you know what? I always get uh, accused of being on uh, this person's nuts, but uh, he's not a current Dodger, but he does deserve an honorable mention is uh, Alex Verdugo, man. For me, Alex Verdugo plays the game like it should be played. 100% passion. He's kind of almost like a Puig, but not as crazy. Um, but uh, the guy, you, if you see every single game he played in Boston this year, his jersey yeah. was just freaking dirty as hell. Um, balls to the wall, 100% effort. It didn't matter what the score was. There was a couple times you would see him in the dugout at the, at the, during the Boston Red Sox games where he'd be pissed off at himself for making a, a bad play or missing a, a ball that he should have crushed into into the monster. But uh, I wanted to mention Doogie because he's he will always be a, a lifelong uh, favorite Dodger, even though he was only with us for a few uh, for less than a year, right? Maybe a year and a half? Yeah, about a year and a half, but he was hurt for a lot of that, so we didn't get the full duty experience. To, but yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great player. To, a lot of fire. To this day, um, if you if you have a Sportsnet LA, there was, uh, they have access Dodgers or backstage Dodgers. And, uh, and there was this one particular episode of Doogie when he's in Chicago and he makes a deep dish pizza. And, uh, <laughs> and my kids, for some reason, you know, if I'm on YouTube browsing or whatever, They'll say, hey, can you play that uh, that backstage Dodgers with Doogie making a pizza? Um, so even with, with my kids, the guy, you know, he kind of struck a chord with them. So Doogie, if you ever listen to this show, shout out to you, man. Awesome job. Um, current player, it's got to be Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts, I feel, has transformed the identity of this team. Um, almost kind of, I can equate it almost to like, almost like how Kirk Gibson came. And uh, yeah. Jesse Orozco was over there fucking around, putting pine tar in his hat, and and uh, I don't know if you remember that story. Vaguely, <laughs> but yeah. So Jesse Orozco puts pine tar in his hat, and freaking Gibson freaking loses it, and is on this witch hunt trying to find out who the fuck it was because he was gonna fuck his ass up. He was there to win; he wasn't there to fuck around. And yeah, uh, although Mookie isn't to that extreme. I feel he has kind of like that same sense of competitiveness and desire to win at all costs. Um, and, and that's why I think his inclusion into the team this season is going to completely transform them from uh, from groomsmen um, to the eventual World Series champs. I really do believe that. And it only took 60 games for me to realize that this guy's a, a difference maker. So yeah. for me, it's, it's got to be Mookie Betts. Yeah. No, that's legit take, man. That's a good way to put it. He definitely has that same sort of uh, 
fortune-changing uh, sort of aura about him. Kind of like Manny when he came over, Manny Ramirez. Um, definitely the Kirk Gibson vibe of this is it. This is the guy that's going to get us over the hump. Yeah. Plus, he, he plays he plays the game with like just like a kid, man. Like when you first start playing the game, you got a big old smile on your, on your yeah. face. Yeah, your, yeah your, your your presentation is clean. I mean, to this this season, he's had the, the dopest cleats that I've ever seen anyone wear in a baseball game. You know, he takes pride in his uniform. Obviously, he takes pride in his work ethic, his ability, his skill. Um, the dude's legit, man. I mean, I even knew it from when he was in Boston. But when you see him play every single day, it's it's like with, with Kershaw, man. It's a treat. It's a treat to see this guy put on a Dodger uniform. And I don't know if, I don't know if anyone shares that same sense of, uh, of great, like, thankfulness or, or gratefulness for that. But if you don't, you should because the dude is, is a Hall of Famer for sure. There's a whole generation of Dodger fans right now who are going to grow up with Mookie Betts as their favorite player. You know that for a fact. Guaranteed. All right, what else do we have? Let's get into our wrestling, man. All right, wrestling. You guys know we're going to have a wrestling take. Um, so what we thought this this week was going to be, uh, what was it, Diego? Who was the best to never have the title? The best WWF Golden Era wrestler who never won the world heavyweight title. All right, you want to share first or you want me to jump yeah, in there? Yeah, I want you to go ahead and start because I'm gonna the, where I'm going to set the bar, you're not even going to come close. Really? Okay, yeah. I see. All right, so I was so, looking at some stuff. Brook, go ahead with your Brooklyn Brawler tape. <laughs> no, that, was a, that was absolutely a joke, although the Brooklyn Brawler was outstanding. He was, I will fight anybody. Brooklyn Brawler was the best all-time jobber in history. We'll give him that. He was fantastic. What I remember as a kid watching the Brooklyn Brawler was desperately hoping to one day watch him win a fight. Yeah. He was so good. He, he sold it so well. Yeah, I mean, uh, he would have a couple sunset flips there where I was like, he's going to win it, finally. And the guy would just <laughs> kick out. And not so much. Um, I don't know. Looking at the list, you got guys like um, Ted DiBiase. Uh, you got Jake Roberts, um, Kurt Hennig, never won the big one. But ultimately, I'm going with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Wow. Yes, because Rowdy Roddy Piper put on a damn show. Um, maybe not the best technical wrestler, as a matter of fact, absolutely not the best technical wrestler. But he put on a show, figuratively and literally. Um, he had, you know, he put on a show in the ring and then he had Piper's Pit. Is that what it was called? Piper's, yeah. Piper's Pit? Yeah, so he put on a show within a show, and it was always entertaining, and that guy could get the best of anybody. That's what I loved about him. He could get the best of anybody. He could get the best of Andre the Giant. He could get the best of Hulk Hogan. Um, can't believe he was never a champion because, I mean, he did beat Hulk Hogan in a fight. Wasn't a title match, though, so um, he just, he was such a character. Um and he was probably one of the better actors that WWF had yeah. in terms of like selling the character and selling the plot line. And clearly, you know, he went on to have an acting career. One of the things, too, about Piper is that he could kind of like play both the heel and the face. Yeah, he you did know? that pretty seamlessly, too. Right. In an era where it was like either you were a good guy or a bad guy, he was kind of like the ambiguous dude. Like, I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad, bad guy. Back then, that was pretty rare. Yeah, he did, he did flip the switch pretty easily. I think there was a, in the uh, 80s, there was, he went on hiatus in the late 80s, early 90s. I think he wasn't around much. 
Um, that's when he was doing some acting and stuff. But then when he came back, he was pretty much a fan favorite. Like there was no storyline that made him that flipped him from the mostly a heel to mostly the the baby face. Right. But when he came back, he was absolutely a fan favorite. He was cheered regardless of uh, what his character was. was so that he, was kind of was, character. That was he what what movie was he in? Was he in No Holds Barred? No, he wasn't. No, that was uh, Zeus Tiny Lister. Uh, yeah. Tiny um, list or that of that of Debo fame, if you didn't know. Debo. And uh, you can use Debo as a, as a verb. I use Debo regularly as a verb, talking about stuff at work. Um, no, he was in a John Carpenter movie called They Lived, which was just a great sort of... Uh, it was a science fiction kind of dystopian... It's kind of hard to explain, but it was a fantastic movie. I'm gonna um, go to the I'm gonna go to the blockbuster today and uh, and rent it. See if they have it. Please do the, the one remaining blockbuster in Alaska or yeah. wherever the hell it is. Um, you got if you haven't seen this, you've got to see it. It's got one of the most famous screen fights in existence. It's just a knockdown, drag out alley fight that goes on for minutes between uh, Roddy Piper and his co-star. Um, names that escape for us. I'm just gonna come to me right now, Keith David. Bunch of A-listers in that movie, bro. What's that? Bunch of A-listers in that movie. Uh, negative. Oh well, I was being sarcastic. I know, uh, but no, it's actually really a, it's a cool movie. Um, he was in a bunch of other stuff. He, he did some video games where he was like a voice actor. He did some TV shows, but that's what he's famous for. His most famous movie is they. All right, it's a good one. Oh, that's my guy. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned uh, mentioned the guy that I had in mind. You kind of stole my thunder, and that's uh, yeah. Believe it or not, it's uh, obviously honorable mention. Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, if 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 I get well, he's my honorable mention. If I got my ass whooped, the last thing I would want is a fucking cobra or python on on top of my chest. And if you see on some of these videos, whenever he would beat whoever it is and throw Damian was the name of the snake. Whenever he throw Damian on top of his opponent. Some of these wrestlers would start kind of laughing and try to like with with withhold themselves from laughing, but it's pretty evident that they're like, "Oh my god, there's a freaking big ass python on top of my chest." Like this dude really threw a snake on. Yeah, you know, honorable mention to Jake, who who I don't know how he's still alive to this day. If you ever see, uh, there's that wrestling documentary about him, and this was like was, was it the, uh, beyond was beyond the mat. Beyond the mat. This was like 20 years ago, and that dude is freaking just strung out on drugs back then. Um, He's kind of he's kind of one of those guys that was a rock and roller. You know, they those wrestlers back in the in the day they lived the life of rock stars. So they'd go to house shows and they'd party it up and do drugs and and that's the lifestyle they had. And Jake the Snake Roberts, I mean, by the grace of God, is still ticking, but. The guy that, uh, to me, was always championship material, just didn't make the cut, has got to be Mr. Perfect, bro. Yeah, that's the guy. Mr. Perfect. I mean, Mr. Perfect had these montages where he would shoot a basketball from half court. And <laughs> and you're, and I'm a six, seven-year-old me looks at these montages of this dude, Mr. Perfect, standing next to whoever it was, whether it be Carl Malone or, or whatever other NBA star would be in these montages. And uh, he would sink these half-court three-pointers like nothing. Granted, I was a little kid back then, so I was uh, pretty ignorant to the fact that they probably did multiple takes. Yeah. Um, 
but, tricks, multiple things, yeah, yeah, there was there was one where he uh, he was with Randall Cunningham. That's a name from the past. And Cunningham, obviously, was a scrambling quarterback for the Eagles, but can launch a bomb 70 yards downfield. So perfect. Uh, obviously, witnesses Randall Cunningham throw this ball, and then he grabs it, and he's like, "All right, you're gonna see something that's perfect." <laughs> so. I keep wanting to say Kurt Hennig because that was his real name. But Mr. Perfect grabs the ball and he throws it, right? And there's this momentary pause where he looks at Randall Cunningham and they make eye contact. And you're thinking there's going to be a receiver on the other end of that pass. No, it's it's Mr. Perfect. He chases the ball down. His own pass, he chases it down, catches the ball, goes into the end zone, presumably scores a touchdown. Me as a kid, I thought this guy is is amazing. He'd go in the ring, he had his little, you know, his sweat rag or whatever it was, he'd throw it up in the air, he'd catch it behind his back, he'd spit out his gum, he'd slap it with his hand, and he had the, it's it's a fisherman suplex as his finisher, but he changed it to the perfect plex. Perfect plex. The perfect plex. That guy, like you said about Bret Hart last year, or last episode, one of the best technical wrestlers you'll ever see. And one of the guys that sells a move better than anyone. There was a couple fights where, you know, the truth of the story is he was in pretty bad shape. His back had chronic back issues towards the end of his WWF career. When he fight, One of the biggest matches that you'll ever see that he had against Bret Hart was at SummerSlam 92. And the guy was just in excruciating pain. But bowled through it, ended up giving up the title to Bret Hart that day. Um, but for that guy to not win a title, I think it was a travesty. In my eyes, he was probably in the wrong era. If he was wrestling in this era, I would equate him to, uh, you know, an an AJ Styles, uh, something like that. Someone who's technical, uh, great on the mic, um, great presence, great aura. Everything about him was championship caliber. He just never, never reached that status for some reason. So perfect. Mr. Perfect. Do you think uh, that was, do you think he would have maybe ended up a champion if he had a... uh like a long-term storyline, like a long-term feud or something that they could have played into that? Because I seem to remember, like, he feuded with pretty much everybody. He didn't have, like, one arch enemy or one... No, the thing about Vince McMahon back in the day was was he always was in love with a bodybuilder, the big, just superhero-sized wrestler. That's why you'd always see... Hogan's get the push, Ultimate Warrior get the push, uh, Hercules Hernandez, if you remember that blast from the past. Absolutely, Um, with the chains around his neck. The Barbarian, the Warlord, all these dudes that were just like, you know, their their heart was just exploding out of the chest because of how 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 many roids they were probably doing, but just aesthetically they were huge. And uh, he was kind of like in the same group as Rick Rude, where Rick Rude was also jacked up, but he just wasn't as big as those other dudes were. And... uh, and back then, Vince McMahon didn't see those guys as a draw. They were uh, marketable. Right. I mean, and like you said, too, DiBiase, that was a great one that you mentioned, too, because DiBiase was, I mean, that dude was a great talker. He had a great gimmick. Um, you know, you believed him. You, I, He was on Lifestyles with the Rich and Famous one time, and I was like, dude, this guy is, he's rich. Like, I want to be this guy. I want to walk around with a, a gold belt with dollar signs on it. Um, yeah, yeah, and not only that, but once he would beat his opponent, he'd shove a hundred dollar bill down his throat and just walk away. Like, yep. wow, this guy's wealth, wealthy man. That's pretty badass. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, 
I think back then Vince McMahon just said, these guys aren't going to sell. We need someone like a Hogan. We need someone like an Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior was supposed to be uh, the next Hulk Hogan. But for some reason, I mean, Ultimate Warrior was uh, an odd, a very odd character in and out of the ring. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, research on that dude. And, and he could have risen to the, to the heights of Hulkamania. But uh, he stayed in parts unknown, bro. <laughs> watch any uh videos or anything about helvig he was a he was an odd duck man he was a weird guy yeah big time he he just he was a hard dude to get along with i mean there was one time in a fight where he held wwf hostage and said if you guys don't pay me i think it was a uh, summer slam it was him and hogan were a tag team partner and, and it was back when the persian gulf was was a big yeah, deal yeah it was, it was uh, sergeant slaughter colonel mustafa and uh uh, I think it was Iron Sheik, but he was using a different name. Um, and he basically told Vince McMahon, if you don't pay me X amount of dollars, I'm not going to go out. So wow. Vince McMahon paid him the money and then fired him right afterward. Because <laughs> that's how Vince McMahon does business. Yeah, he, he did not fuck around. But yeah, Mr. Perfect, man. All right, good choice. I approve. Thanks. I can move on now. I, uh, I know. <laughs> All right, so is that is that going to be it for this episode? Yeah, that'll be it. Uh, you know, I got training. I'll be in San Diego. Or actually, right now, I'm going to watch the Lakers whoop ass in the Miami Heat, uh, go up 3-0. And then right after that, I'll be in San Diego for the week for training. Well, I hope you get to watch the Dodger game while you're down there. I will. I'm going to go down to Petco, and I'm going to talk shit to all the fans. That's the plan. <laughs> all right. Good man. Good plan. All right, everybody. That was it. That was episode two of the Dodger Ox podcast. Um, thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, rate us, like us, follow us, subscribe, all that good stuff. We are the Dodger Hogs, real, the real Dodger Hogs on Instagram and at Dodger Hogs on Twitter. Uh, follow us, add us, send us some questions, send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we'll be back to do this next weekend after the uh, divisional series, hopefully, is wrapped up in three games. Sounds good. I'll be right here. Hopefully you guys will be too. Tell your friends. That's right. Spread the word, guys. All right, Diego. Thank you very much. Good right. talking to you again. Same here, John. Be safe, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Adios.